Amen. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Possessing the Heart of Christ. If you've been here over the last several weeks, we've talked about dealing with shame, possessing an unoffendable heart, cultivating a forgiving heart, relinquishing a judgmental heart. And don't forget, we talked extensively about our anger problems. And everybody was really excited about every one of those messages. I could see it on all your faces. Even when you look like a tree full of owls. Very powerful. I thought today I would be closing that series, but I decided to reopen it, and you didn't know about it, but you just saw an executive decision get made in the first hundred days. Executive orders, I'm writing them. One of them is... We're going to keep going with this series, just talking about the heart that we have to be more and more like Jesus, because what's inside of us eventually comes out of us. And so when we lay hold of what He's doing on the inside and we cultivate a life before the Lord, we know that the words that come out of our mouth and the actions that come out of our life, they reflect the nature of Jesus Christ. It's not just the name of Jesus on our lips, but it's the nature of Jesus in our hearts. This is what the Christian is going after And this is what we're talking about. And today, I want to continue by talking to you out of Philippians chapter 2, a message that I'm I'm calling Exchanging a Selfish Heart. And let's pray with that. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I simply ask that as we open it today, that you would begin to transform our lives. We pray that your word would renew our minds, that it would challenge, that it would encourage, that it would change our hearts so that our life could reflect our Savior. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. You give us instruction. You give us, uh, you give us all that we need in your word to take the steps that we're, that we're to take. And you give us the power of the Holy Spirit to live it out. This is not just a rule book. This is an empowering instruction manual with the Holy Spirit helping us, guiding us, leading us into all that you've created us to be. And we pray that today would further aid our development in Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let me go ahead and read to you the introduction that I wrote on those teaching notes that were in the bulletin that you received as you came in. And here is what it says. Selfishness is something that every human being has struggled with from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they chose to serve themselves rather than God And this choice released a plague of sin sickness upon the whole human race. This sin sickness, or otherwise known as the flesh, can be summed up in the issue of selfishness, which is clearly seen in the self-focused thinking and self-centered activity that still exists among us today. I recently read a Newsweek magazine article, which, by the way, I don't normally do, that polled thousands of Americans with this question. What would you do if you could have your wildest dreams come true? 38% responded by saying that they would choose to win the lottery, while 1% said that they would choose to have world peace. Isn't it ironic that we seemingly live in the loudest activist generation, and yet when the truth comes out, the majority are simply idealists who speak up in order to be seen by others, which is also selfish. Do we truly want what's best for others, or are we somehow still serving ourselves underneath it all? Somebody say conviction. Uh-oh. What about us as Christians? Do we still struggle with selfishness? Of course we do. Even though Jesus has shown us the way of sacrificial love and selflessness, we can still be self-centered and self-focused if we live by the flesh. 
If we are truly going to follow Jesus in the way that we live, it will require a daily exchange of selfishness for selflessness in both the big and the small things in our life. And let me just say it to you. um, Let me actually just add this by saying selfishness starts out blatant when we're kids. When we're young, it's very obvious when kids are selfish. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's just right there in front of you. There's no hiding it at all, not even trying to. But when we get older, it becomes sophisticated. Our selfishness is like something that we hide. We act like it's not there. If somebody asks you, are you selfish, you kind of have to negotiate in your mind. You don't automatically discern about yourself or about myself those selfish tendencies that we have. So messages like this are very important. You don't have to say amen because you want it to be true. (laughs) When I was five or six years old in the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was about Juanita, kind of Totem Lake, Kirkland area, uh, Bothell, and we used to have this guy, Popsicle Joe, would drive through our neighborhood. You know, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I'm sure some neighborhoods still have that, but it went from like a Jeep to like a big van, and it's kind of gotten a little different. But anyhow... We would have Popsicle Joe go through our neighborhood every day during the summer, three, four months. And when I was five or six, you know, you're just utterly compulsive. And when you hear that noise, every boy and girl wants a very expensive Popsicle, no matter what it costs. And so I'm like, Mom, 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 can I get a Popsicle? And my mom effectively said, no. Because we've always been the kind of folks that... We'll go to the store and buy 12 Lucerne ice cream bars for a dollar in place of the $100 Popsicle from Popsicle Joe. (laughs) And my wife and I have continued said tradition because that's just who we are and that's how we roll. Amen. You won't catch me at Cold Stone because I can pretty much buy three gallons for the same price. That's just, I'm just letting you know. I mean, you could take me out to Cold Stone. I I didn't mean... I'll receive the blessing, I, but, you know, whatever. Anyways, mom said no. She turns the corner into the kitchen, and for whatever reason, I got this terrible idea where I walked right up to her purse. Wait a minute, what's that? <laughs> Two weeks ago, I talked about judging. <laughs> but, it, but in this instance, you're actually right, you're right. I just reach my hand into mom's purse and I pull out a bill. It happens to be a $20 bill. Now, I didn't, I didn't care what kind of bill it was. I just needed enough to get an expensive popsicle. So I take it, and you know, I'm not supposed to run down the neighborhood at 5, 6. You're just, I mean, a few years away from diapers. And so I just take off down the street with this $20 bill in my hand, and I'm waving it, trying to get the attention of Popsicle Joe. And he stops because he sees a kid with money. And I walk up, or run up to, to the Jeep, and I just point at the one I want. This one, this one, this one. And I just jam that $20 bill into his hand. He takes it, and I don't, I don't even know if he was going to give me change at that point, because got, I got my big old popsicle, but my mom, do, 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 do. She caught wind of the fugitive on the run and came, and came after me. She got the money back, gave the popsicle back, and asks me as we're walking home, and I'm very, very scared at this point, She said, where did you get that money? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) Because it wasn't enough to steal. I had to lie about it. We get home, and how many of you know Ben Dixon was in trouble? Yes, I was was in trouble. And we'll just leave out what happened next because we're living in a different generation. 
<laughs> We're just living in it. Living in a different time, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to pay attention to this story. It's really funny, but it illustrates what selfishness is like. I was so concerned about getting my popsicle that I was willing to steal, I was willing to lie, and I was willing to be a fugitive on the run and disobey about three very clear rules in our house at five, six years old. I didn't set out trying to steal, lie, cheat, disobey. I didn't, that, that wasn't my goal. My goal was that I so much wanted my popsicle, I didn't care what I had to do to get it. And don't you think that's actually the crux of selfishness? And that's what sin really looks like. The crux of sin is self-first. That's what it's all about. It's I want the apple because it's a delight to my eyes to make me wise. It's all about me. It's all about I. We all are touched by this type of sin because it is the crux of sin itself. In fact, if I were to sum up a lot of what I've been talking about, the manifestations of selfishness are many of the things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. This self-centered way, this self-focus, it's all about me. And it doesn't help that we're in a gimme, gimme, gimme society that's calling out to us all the time. But I believe this is what selfishness is like. We will do often the unthinkable, stuff that we would never think that we would do just to get what we want. I think it's fascinating how far we will go. And I, I believe as we look at Philippians chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 13, we're going to be encouraged by the Apostle Paul how it is that we can exchange a selfish heart for a selfless heart. Because as I'm sharing these messages, what I'm not trying to do is just make you convicted. Although I hope that conviction, you know, if the shoe fits, <laughs> kick it off and get a new pair of shoes. <laughs> if the selfishness shoe fits, we kick it off and get selfless shoes. That's, that's, that's the goal. What I'm not doing is just trying to convict everybody. What I am doing is saying there's a door of hope. If these things are true of us in an increasing measure, Jesus has a better story and a better way for us. So on one hand, this, is, this can be true of the flesh, but this is true of the spirit. So we're going after selflessness today. And here's, here's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Other translations say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In fact, can I just tell you that if you have a paper Bible, you should underline verses 3 and 4 because I think it provides us a divine definition of what love actually looks like. This is what I believe. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. I want to provide some context for the letter of Philippians today before we move on to a few principles about exchanging a selfish heart. The Apostle Paul obviously wrote this letter. He was in prison in Rome. And it's important to remember that the prison epistles, Paul wrote 13 letters, and this is one of them. A handful of them, he wrote them from a jail cell or he wrote them on house arrest. When he was in prison, and it's important because he knows that he's facing possible martyrdom at any day now. And I want you to get into his frame of mind. Paul knows he's going to die. And he knows he's going to die for doing what is right. That he sought to give his life for the gospel. What we prayed about salvation and that we would be those that share the gospel. Paul did that to his own demise. But he was absolutely content with that because he was in the presence of his Lord. This is the example that he had and what he was following. As the reality of martyrdom was there for the Apostle Paul, you can imagine a man like this might be vexed, but all he can think about is the church. A man that's in prison, and all he can think about is the people of God. And so he writes these letters out of concern. He has great relationships with those who are in the city of Philippi. He started or helped to start the church with what we believe is just many women who started the church plant in Philippi, and it spread from there. And one of the reasons that he's writing this letter to them was in response to a gift that he had received. He had sent a companion of his named Epaphroditus, which I think is a fantastic name. He sent Epaphroditus, and we believe also Timothy at one point, to the Philippians to check on them, to minister to them, to encourage them. As Epaphroditus was there, two things happened. He received a gift for the Apostle Paul. And also, he noticed that there were some divisions that were taking place. There was hostility. There was tension. And he comes back and he tells Paul. He gives him a report of all of this. And you'll see some of Paul's response throughout the letter to the Philippians. In chapter 3, we read where Paul warns about false teachers. Actually, I'll back up. In chapter 1, Paul wants to console them a little bit and remind them, you don't have to cry for me because I believe that me being in chains has actually worked out for the good of those who are called to preach the gospel. I mean, that's the perspective of the man that we're reading from. Tell me that that's not the Holy Spirit filling that man. He tells them, hey, don't worry about me. My chains have meant a whole lot more for the gospel. So why don't you just pray for the advancement of the gospel instead of God breaking these chains because it did what most thought it would not do. And so he consoles them and says, hey, God is doing something mighty even though I have these chains. In chapter 3, we read where Paul talks about false teachers. And we know false teachers and false prophets were very prevalent throughout the early church. They were getting their hooks in as things were growing and going in those days. And in chapter 4, we read about two specific individuals who had tension. They had an unreconciled relationship, and it was affecting the church. And so Paul speaks to those two individuals, and he does so publicly in this letter. And he says, you need to come back into reconciliation and forgiveness. And so the church is reading this letter, and Paul emphasizes this. But what does he do in chapter 2? In chapter 2, he gets to the very motive of why these divisions and why this tension actually happens. And what's at the center of it? Selfishness. Selfishness. This is what he's talking about, and this is why we're reading chapter 2, is to get to the internal motives 
which inevitably equal the external realities that they're facing and that we often face as well. And so I just want to bring up three things that I see from this passage. There are actually at least six that I wrote down probably, but I'm just going to tell you three today. Number one is uh, we and they need to learn to exchange our selfish ambition. In verse 3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. And I just want to park on that for a second. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And you know what that, this declaration or this is very much an imperative statement. It gives us an evaluative tool for our motives as we follow Jesus Christ. In fact, when you sit in the presence of the Lord and you pray and you read words like this, what this does, what these words do, and hopefully what they did for them, is it causes us to evaluate what we do and why we do it. Do nothing. So it means to us, like, what is, Lord, is there anything that I'm doing that's about me, that's solely and completely about me, to the point where I'm discarding other people and I don't even see them? Am I doing something just to put myself out there, a self-first mentality? Is it all about me? The things that I'm praying for, the things that I'm asking for, the things that I'm working toward in this life? Am I just clearing out my view of other people? Do I even see other people as I'm praying, as, I, as I'm living my life? He says right here, with humility of mind, regard others as better than yourselves. The question that we have from this is, do I consider other people better than myself? Not just in theory and not just in thinking, but how does that work into my daily life? We cannot just say yes, and this is what we often do because we think that knowledge somehow equals lifestyle, and it doesn't. The Apostle Paul would also tell us that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge can be something that we have, and, and it makes us feel like we have something over on other people, but it's really about lifestyle. We hope that our knowledge somehow equals our lifestyle or is, is flowing into the way that we live. But we know from the religious leaders of Jesus' day that that was not always the case. Now, we want knowledge, and we want right knowledge, but humility coupled with that knowledge will equal great lifestyle. With humility of mind, regard others as better than yourselves. And can I tell you this morning that humility is not just some kind of character quality. You know, like over the years, I've really developed myself as a humble person. <laughs> and I really hate to tell you all this because um, I just didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. But uh, just so, so you have a really good example that I have really developed humility in my life. It just sounds foolish to even talk like that, doesn't it? <laughs> I want you to know, even in this sermon, I have not mastered what it is that I am talking about right now. I, I am not the Obi-Wan Kenobi of humility, okay? I'm not. And if you don't know what that is, it's Star Wars, and I'm sorry. <laughs> humility is not something that we just attain. I believe humility is often a choice where we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We actually have opportunities to humble ourselves all the time. Humility is not walking around with an inferiority complex. Like, oh, brother, sister, I just, you know. Some of this like outward pious activity or, or sentiment, these words that come out of our mouth that other people think, oh, so-and-so is really humble. But let me ask you a question. What if so-and-so appears humble, but when God calls their name, they don't answer? Do you think that person's humble? Do you think God's view of our lives is really that we are humble if we're non-responsive to His voice in our life? 
Is that a Selah moment? It was a rhetorical question. I appreciate you working with me on that. But this is what it is. If we abide in Christ and He abides in us, in this relationship, we will live a life of humility because His voice will constantly bring us to a place of humility where we receive from Him and we respond to Him. This is the kind of humility that we're talking about. In fact, I think a lot of people that we probably wouldn't think are humble actually are. And that's how God sees them because when God calls their name, those people respond. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about humility and he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself like I'm, I'm not a great person or, or putting yourself down, but it's thinking of yourself less. Why is it about that? Because when you're thinking of yourself less, you're thinking about others or you're thinking about other things or you're thinking about the Lord more. You're displacing self-focus because you're God-focused and you're others-focused. And this is what breeds humility in our life through relationship with Jesus. I have a little rhyme for you. If we're not humble, we will stumble. You're welcome. Do we consider the thoughts, the desires, the goals, the aspirations of others first? Is that the way we pray Is that the way we speak? Is that the way we think? Let me ask you this. Do we consider the thoughts, the desires, the goals, the aspirations of others at all? How about we start there? Sometimes it's hard enough to think, well, I definitely don't put others first, but do we put others, are they even on the shelf? Are we numb to what's going on in others' lives and other people's lives? It's really easy to get offended when we don't consider the thoughts and the desires of others, isn't it? So what's underneath all of this offense? Maybe it's that all we're thinking about is getting ours and doing what's best for us. And when anybody gets in the way of that, we get offended. Why? Because we are so zoned in on our popsicle that everybody is trying to snatch away the money to buy it and everybody's trying to snatch away that really great first bite. And this is what happens so we get offended. This can be how we treat our spouse, our children, our parents, our friends, our family. And you don't have to be married to have this happen in your life, but marriage is obviously a very good mirror. But so are deep and close friendships for those of us who are single. Do do you love uh, amusement parks? You do? Wow, okay. (laughs) I've been to almost all of them, it seems like, and uh, for whatever reason, I just really don't like going to amusement parks. (laughs) I convince myself that it's going to be really great for some reason. But then you get there and you're like, what in the world am I doing? I, I was going to say something right there. I won't say what I was just thinking. When I go, we, a couple years ago, my family, we went to Disney World. We've been to Disneyland several times. We went to Disney World. And it's all the way in Florida. And I can't, when I go to Florida, I've been there many times, I can't breathe. I can't even breathe in Florida. I'm like, where is the air? Like, you, there are these places that you go. It's like there are these, these, uh, Oxygen bars is like, it makes sense when you go to Florida. Like, now I know why these places exist, but not in Seattle, okay? If you don't know what those are, it's because you're from Seattle. But um, we're in Florida, and we go, and we drop like a grand in like one day. And you know, it's funny because about Disney World or Disneyland, they say it's like the magical kingdom, you know, it's the magical kingdom. And you get there, and you're like, there's nothing magical about go, it's go, what is going on right now. I'm paying $20 for a Coke, And $15 for a cookie that looks like Mickey. And it's not even great. 
but for some reason, it just draws it out of you. It just extracts money. Like you're just going to give away 20 bucks for a Coke. And like, oh, why not? Just money, money, money doesn't even matter. And then you get into the car at the end of the day and, and, and your family is still complaining. You're like, the only magic that is is black magic. That is not any magic I want. That's witchcraft, ladies and gentlemen. It is magic, but it's not the kind that they're talking about. But it's, fa- it's, it's fascinating to me. And you know my favorite ride at Disney World? Can I just tell you? It's Starbucks. <laughs> because I get in line, and it goes a lot faster than the two-hour Avatar 3D ride or whatever. And you get there, and at least I'm happy at the end because I got what I wanted. And the rest, I can't say that's true. I just walk around a lot happier. <laughs> until the ice melts in like three seconds, and then there it is what it is. But I remember just going to Disney World and it's just like herding cattle into the stall, you know? We're all just kind of like smushed in. It's just a weird experience and nobody's making eye contact because everybody's trying to shoulder you out. (laughs) And it's a great opportunity to see where you're really at with this thing about selfishness because, hey, I paid to get in here, Pastor Ben. I paid $1,000 for three days and I'm just going to shoulder, I won't do this again, so you shoulder myself in there and we're smushed in and I think those ropes were created for Disney World with your kids you're just pulling them along because you lose a kid along the way like where's Tommy I don't care let's get to the front of the line we'll pull him in we'll just pull him in you know Tommy's on his back ah, you know <laughs> that's what happens it's terrible. It's a funny joke, but I remember thinking in the middle of these rides, I stood in line for two and a half hours to go on Avatar 3D. I'm kind of venting right now. It's awesome. It's awesome. And something Bridget and I have always taught our kids, and I'm certain that many of you have as well, is that it is the little things that matter. You know, integrity is not developed just in the big things. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not making those small decisions where integrity matters, where selflessness matters, by the time we get to one of those big decisions, if we have not been cultivating in the small things, we will not have the stuff when the big stuff comes around. Because day by day, moment by moment, we just continue to make decisions that are all about us. And we think that when it comes to this big, grandiose decision that needs to be made, this thing where we're going to be utterly generous and all that, we think that we're going to have in that moment the, the substance to draw from to say yes to that. But the fact is we haven't been cultivating those decisions. And you know what brings it out of us is these amusement parks. Or how about traffic? You know what? We could solve the world's traffic problem right now. Just let people in. Everybody. If we let people in, do you know why we have traffic besides accidents? (laughs) There's a little caveat to that. It's because we don't let people in. I mean, it's it's amazing, and we don't want to make eye contact. It's just like we just... Let me just tell you, I come from the north. Now I live in the south. The south is no different than the north. We're all the same. We're all the same. We don't like to let people in because that two, three seconds matters so much. So much. Because you woke up a half an hour late. Yeah, it's really going to matter. It's really going to matter. But the traffic, I mean, it, it's, it's just amazing. Like, nobody's like, oh, you get in. No, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. We, we, we don't do that because why? You say, well, Pastor Ben, that's not really selfishness. It really? Really? It doesn't start in the small. Is that what, is that what we're saying? 
It doesn't start in the small things, and then all of a sudden it becomes the character of, of our life. It doesn't start in that stuff. Yes, it absolutely does. It 100% does. And we have to learn how to make a practice out of these daily opportunities that we have when we're at the grocery store, letting people go first. In fact, I would say introduce into our lives, we ought to introduce into our lives these moments and opportunities, even when they're not necessarily pressed upon us. But like at the grocery store, hey, why don't you go first? You only got a couple things. Don't you love it when somebody does that? Let me ask you a question. Do you do that? Oh, a couple of you do. All right. <laughs> Keep doing that. How about that? <laughs> don't stop doing that. We're concerned about being first so often, getting there first, getting recognized, being number one. If we're going to exchange selfishness for selflessness, we'll have to regard others as better than ourselves. How do we do that? We do, it, we do that by making real choices in our lives to put others first in the small and the big. And the big. You know, this week I was probably making, making the bed, putting on the toothpaste thing a little bit more because I knew I was going to be sharing this with you, right? <laughs> you know what I was doing this week. Get my game on. Can I, can I for a moment say to you also, I, I just think it's amazing how in our day, and I, I never slam the church, the church is God's bride, but I can't hardly ever watch Christian television because of the foolishness that gets preached. And I'm only saying this not for us to rise up with an attitude, but I'm saying this because this stuff ought not be among the people of God. When I see people preach about your miracle, your harvest, your breakthrough, your favor, your this, let me just tell you today that the way of the lamb, as Pastor Steve used to say, which I am now going to adopt, amen, following Jesus is about putting other people first. And the foolish idea that we ought to just go after something always for ourselves. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look out for ourselves and our love. I'm saying that when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, guess what God does? He takes care of us. Proverbs says when we water someone else's garden, he waters ours. And this is the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to follow Jesus into sacrificial love. But that's not always what's preached. People obviously just cater to that selfish part of us, and it is downright humanism. I hear stuff talked about sometimes where it's like if people are just sapping your strength and sapping life out of you and just sucking the wind out of your sails, you know, just cut them off because God wants to get those haters out of your life. That is not following Jesus. Sometimes those people are strategically placed in our life so that we would learn how to die to self. I call them grace growers. We're not just to cut people out of our life. Now, abusers and people that, that can't seem to get it right, you know, we do need to develop boundaries with. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is leading us to a place of crucifixion. He is leading us to a place of death so that resurrection life can come in its place and we finally look like Jesus. This is what God is after in our life. And for some reason, the message gets twisted and, and, and the hypocrisy that we dislike in the church, the things that we don't want to see happen are the very things that excite us when they get preached sometimes. And we just got to discard that kind of foolishness. There is no kind of theology in the Bible that caters to that. Pastor Darby even said, we don't give to get. We give out of response to God, but God takes care of us and we know that. But do we trust him first because we're obeying his word? You know, money is that funny thing that people don't like to talk about in church. I love to talk about money in church. <laughs> I have no problem with it. Because if you give, I'm not getting an extra dollar. I don't get a bonus. 
I mean, you could give me one if you wanted to. It's like if I hit a, if like I hit a sermon out of the park, it's like, yeah, I get an extra. That doesn't happen. Half the time I get criticized. It's like, well, it was good considering. Well, thank you for your encouragement, not encouragement. I think money is one of those things where, you, you know, we just, once we let it go, God takes care of us. I heard a message when I was 19 years old. I was radically saved and delivered. I heard a message. Some guy talked about tithing, you know. And I personally, I, I, I personally believe in tithing. I practice it since I was 19 years old, 100%, never looked back. I'm, just, I'm not trying to get any accolades from you, but this is, I heard it preached one time. And I just, in my heart, I knew that I needed to trust the Lord with my first fruits. I knew it. And this is the absolute truth. Before God, I'm telling you exactly how it is. So that's just what I did. I've written that check first ever since those days. And those checks were smaller in those days. It was a lot easier. Because we think when we make more, it gets easier. No, no, that's just a lie. It used to be, at some days, we're like 20 bucks. That was my tithe. And so we teach our kids, you know, we, we, we tithe, we save, and we spend. That's our three, uh, when it comes to money, that's the three principle model that we've taught them. And they understand this. But I think it's one of those things where it's like, when you see somebody lay down their selfish ambition because we don't need the new iPhone. Because you know what? I'll tell you this. When we're not giving, we're giving to something. We're funding something. The, the, the issue is not whether or not we should give. The issue is where are we giving you're giving to something. It's either for yourself, the upgraded version, the upgraded model. I'm, t- I'm telling you, when we settle those issues like giving, and l- I'm not after your money this morning. I'm, n- I'm really not. I'm after your obedience to Jesus. I'm unashamed about this, but if we don't exchange our selfish ambition, and for whatever reason I brought up money, it's not on my notes. It's extra. It's for free. It's another principle. <laughs> I just have found that we just grip onto this, but we grip onto it so that we can spend it for ourselves. We don't grip onto it because we think there's a better place to put it. I have found that we as human beings will invest it in ourselves. That's what we do. And we become idealists. We have this idea that we want to help the world and we want world peace, but we sow nothing into that. The people that scream the loudest about what everybody else should do are usually the people that give the least. And honestly, you're just waving a flag when you're talking loud about that. This is what you're doing. You're just waving a flag. I probably don't do as much as I'm saying I do. That's all you're really doing. I have found the people that are the quietest are the most convicted often. It's counterintuitive. Why? Because they're not trying to announce with a trumpet what they do in secret. Because they learn Matthew 6, 1. Don't practice your righteousness before men that you might be recognized by them. But isn't it amazing how when people come with trumpets, everybody hears them because they're screaming, but they're practicing their righteousness before men that it might be seen by them, which again is an underlying selfish motive. I'm not doing this because I care. I'm not doing this because it's right. I'm doing this because I want you, 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 and to see me and to think well of me. That's what I'd really like. But we've got to exchange our selfish ambition, even when it is that we're practicing these kinds of things. Thank you, Pastor Ben. That was really good. Can we move on to selflessness? Of course we can. Of course we can. And I'm so glad that you were already there. Number two, we need to embrace a selfless attitude. In verse five, Paul says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about the incarnation story of Jesus stepping down from heaven into earth. The Son of God left heaven. He became a man. He served us. He suffered for us. He died for us. And he rose again. And Paul says, have this same mindset. 
that Jesus had, that when he did all that he did, this is the way that we need to think because if we think this way, we will act the same way. The mindset is sacrificial love. It's to sacrifice ourselves and our desires and our life for the sake of other people. And when we do that, we actually find life. Paul preached this principle. He said, I, I die all day that, I might, that the life of Jesus might be revealed to you. It's these, these weird passages that only make sense when you're giving. When you're giving. He talks about this. And I mean, let me just say, we embrace, embrace a selfless attitude. You know, Jesus, up until his very death, was seeking to help his disciples understand this very thing. You remember in John chapter 13, he's going the way of the cross. There's just not much time left. And Jesus makes a decision. Here's what I want to do. In all of the good teaching of John, you know, chapter 12 or whatever, and all the way to chapter, really, chapter 17, 18, and so on. In chapter 13, he says, here's what I want to do. I, I'm going to show you the way that you ought to be. And he, and he gets down, and he starts washing their feet. No, 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 no. This is the son of the living God. And he wants to show his disciples the way that they ought to be. I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to serve you like servants and slaves do. And the oppression of women and children and how they're looked down on. And so we think that they should do that. But he as the son of God says we are not above anything. And we need to be willing to serve everybody in any way because those are the kind of people that I want you to be. This is what it means to follow me. It means that you're willing to wash dirty, stinky, nasty feet. When we come to the church, Jesus wanted to make sure that we are not just part of some elite club where our knowledge sets us above other people. He is saying, I want you to be the kind of people that do what I did, that act how I acted, that love how I loved. And nobody gets out of this. If you claim Jesus is Lord, this is the way that you have decided to walk. This is your destiny. What is my purpose? Our purpose is to serve people as Jesus served them. It's to love people like Jesus loved them. And when we focus on other people, we find life. We find life. Nobody wants to go help someone move. I mean, that's just terrible. <laughs> but when you get over there and you help someone move and you realize how much help that they needed, you realize that they needed you at the end of it. Do you ever feel bad? No. You feel great. You feel like, man, I'm so glad that I came. You kind of, your flesh is like, it's a Saturday, it's a day off, you know, it's like, maybe it doesn't come out of you, but it's, you know, a little, you all got the flesh. Nobody just kind of floats over, oh, yes. I've been waiting for such an opportunity. I'm glad that you met me. Wonderful. <laughs> Your knight in shining armor. I'm not a knight in shining I'm just a tall boy. That's all I am. That's all you got here. A selfless attitude. Jesus is not just the payment for my sins. He's the pattern for my life. This is the scripture. The incarnation is to show us that we're not part of an elite club where we know more and we're better than. It's where we serve more because we know the one that served us. Jesus served us, and he calls us to serve everyone else. This is, this is Christianity. This is beautiful. Number three, and finally, engage the daily process of selflessness. When you believe in Christ, you've received a new heart, but we have to learn every day to live from it. Paul says in verse 12 to 13 that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us both to will 
and to do for his own good pleasure. God is working in us, speaking to us, leading us, convicting us, drawing us, and all we do is respond to God. That is our life as a Christian. We are responding to the one that has served us. That's all we're doing. We can't repay him. It's not about giving back. It's about giving our life because he's given his life. It's this beautiful and divine exchange. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 37, Jesus says this, and you'll know it because I'm sure you've heard it before. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke 9, 23 says he must take up his cross daily. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Every day that we wake up is another day to honor God and to love God by serving other people. And this is what Paul is teaching us. And this is why he's saying you have tension in the church. You have difficulty in the church. You have hostility in the church. And you want a way to solve that? You start with the way that you think. You start in a way where you set your life to be like Jesus. And when we do that, in the morning when we wake up, we will find that what flows out of us is not the things that we often get bound up by, especially in church, but also in the world. We will find that Jesus will transform us from the inside out. Jesus did not set us free to serve ourselves. He set us free to serve and love other people. And while this is so simple, and everybody can say amen, and we know it's true, the question is not whether you know it. The question is whether or not we live it. What I'm encouraging you to do is to live, is to get up in the morning and say, Lord, how would you use me today? Give me your eyes today. Give me your heart today. Give me your mindset today and help me to run into situations instead of walk away from them. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you see something in front of you that needs addressing, do you walk towards it or do you walk by it? Are we getting into these situations and helping other people not knowing what's going to happen? Maybe they'll say, no, you, you leave me alone, you strange person. Fine. What ha nothing happened. Nobody hurt me, but I walked into situations hoping that maybe I had an opportunity to be like Jesus in the midst of it. There are, there are moments in our life every day that God is awakening us to, that we could get involved in, that will release and reveal Jesus. We just prayed for it. Let's also live it. We just prayed for it. We have to live it. The world wants to see Jesus, but they see Jesus through us. We're the plan of God for the world that we live in. Selfishness cannot hold us. We're not bound by it. We're not a slave to self anymore. We've been set free. But it's for freedom that we've been set free, that we might love and serve other people. I want to ask you, are you serving yourself? Jesus said, we cannot serve both God and mammon. The spirit of mammon is alive and well in the earth. The spirit of materialism is alive and well in the earth. The spirit of humanism is alive and well. Even in the church, are we serving ourselves? Are we praying only about things for ourselves? Are we going after with all of our heart other people? You want to live a miraculous life? You want to see the supernatural of God? You start going after people, and God, by the Holy Spirit, will accompany your life with His supernatural power because you're doing what Jesus did. So often people cry out for the supernatural and the power of God in church. We cry out, we cry out, we cry out. But we find that when we step out, the power comes. When we give, the power comes. When we sacrifice, Jesus supplies. He provides seed to the sower. 
I mean, it's all there. I was um, thinking about how to close this and two things. Well, one, I'm just going to say this because I, I could be here all day talking about this. <laughs> you ever buy clothes at like a Costco? Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, right? They have no fitting room. And I'm a little generous to myself. I think, oh, that'll fit. You know, just a little bit big. I just do that. I'll, I'll get a shirt and I'll take it home and I'll put it on and it's like, you know, it's just, it just doesn't. You're trying to get that last button in and it just, it's not working. And instead of keeping that shirt in your closet as a prophecy of where you should be, <laughs> you understand? You take it back to Costco and you do what? You exchange it for something that fits. You know what I think? I think selfishness does not fit on the Christian. And what God wants is he wants us to exchange it for something that does. And what does is selflessness in place of selfishness. We have to lay hold of this. And as we do, we release the nature of Jesus into the world that is desperately seeking a Savior that looks like the Word says he does. They're going to see it through you and I. We're not perfect. I'm not, I'm not giving you that proposal today. But we do get to make choices. And even in the simple choices that we make, God accompanies our obedience with his holy power. Maybe it's in your marriage this morning. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your friends. Maybe it's at your workplace. But I guarantee you this, you start making selfless decisions, just little things, and you'll watch the fruit of God follow your life. And you'll find life. We will find life. The smile will get a little bit bigger. Our heart will be a little happier because we gave away instead of held back. The more we hold back, the more we harbor, the harder it gets because the Holy Spirit is just thumping our hearts <laughs> again and again and again. You know why? Because he's calling us into the real destiny of being a Christ follower that looks like Jesus. Amen. Will you stand? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you're moving us closer and closer to being more and more like you. And I just pray for your church this morning. I just pray, God, for your conviction and your encouragement. I pray that you would shape us and sharpen us to be the people that you created us to be. We ask, Lord, that we could exchange our selfishness for your selflessness as we look at you as our divine example for how we ought to be. Encourage us to step into that way of life again and again and again every day. And we thank you that you've committed your power to us as we step out in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, let me commission you this morning by saying, as you go, be strengthened by God's word, be filled with God's spirit, be mindful of God's voice, be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.